And open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Been loving this series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled Follow Me. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The title of the sermon this morning is The Wedding Feast. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we hear this parable from Jesus this morning, I ask that you would move upon our hearts and cause them to be greatly stirred to fresh faith and to fresh action. Lord, help us to be moved, Holy Spirit, by what Your Word says to us. Help us not to be walking out of here the same as we were when we came in. We, we desire for You to change us and transform us, Spirit of God. As we pray for Your presence to be strong amongst us as we hear Your Word this morning and 
as your word is preached, touch our hearts, capture our hearts, and fill us with even greater affections for Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to partake of communion later on in the service, I pray that you would prepare our hearts truly to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you for being such a generous king. We pray, Father, that we would be moved to love you even more as a result of this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, It's so good to see you all. Just by way of introduction for this passage here, uh, the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus introduces here when he speaks to them in parables. And remember, he speaks to the the religious leaders and to the, the nation of Israel here, primarily in this context. And he speaks to them in parables so that they would understand spiritual truths through story in a way that just speaking it wouldn't come home into their hearts. And he, he, he speaks to them in this parable and he says that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. The Israelites knew that Jesus was speaking of them when he spoke here of the kingdom of heaven because they immediately associated themselves with the kingdom of heaven that God was building. They know that they are God's chosen people from the Old Testament. And the Jewish leaders often would use the phrase kingdom of heaven in order to avoid saying kingdom of God or kingdom of Yahweh, the name that they would seek to avoid speaking because of the holiness of the name of God himself. They would just use the phrase kingdom of heaven to describe actually the kingdom of God. And they knew when Jesus brought up kingdom of heaven here, that he was speaking of them. This is the third of three judgment parables that began in Matthew chapter 21 with the parable of the two sons in verse 28, and then in the parable of the tenants in verse 33. The parable of the two sons spoke that Jesus was saying that the lowest of the low are getting in to heaven ahead of you, Pharisees. You are relying upon your self-righteousness. But they're going to get in ahead of you. In the parable of the tenants, Jesus says to the religious leaders and to the people of Israel listening to him, this week of his death, this is most likely here Wednesday, before he died, he's speaking these parables of judgment. In the parables of the, the parable of the tenants, Jesus was basically saying, in rejecting me, the kingdom is being taken away from you. Sobering, sobering words. And he finishes up here with this section here in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And I want to introduce to you the factors involved with this parable. Number one, you have the king who's speaking here of the father. God the father who has a heart to throw the second factor's wedding feast. He wants to throw a wedding feast for his son. And the son represents Jesus Christ, his beloved son. These servants that the king sends represent the prophets, leading all the way up to John the Baptist and including him as well. But also 
Jesus who proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. These servants also include the apostles. But also us as Christians who are servants sent to proclaim the truth about the king and his son. So even though this scripture here is talking in the immediate context, particularly to the Jewish leaders and also to the nation of Israel, it also has a timeless effect in terms of the servants of God who are sent forth to speak His Word, even us. There's those who are invited or have been pre-invited to the wedding feast. He says, call those invited. The invited represent the Jewish leaders and also the nation of Israel who knew themselves to be God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. They were pre-invited to this feast and now the call goes out to them that the time has come. And finally, gathering the found Gathering those at the end. Those are the unworthy, the low, the the great sinners that Jesus previously spoke of in the first parable. The two sons, the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the bad and also the good. Those who are more morally righteous as well. But those whom the religious leaders of Israel, they deemed unworthy of the kingdom. But the king sends out his servants to gather the the lowest of the low in Israel who would come to him and be that remnant saved by grace who would actually believe in Jesus. But also, this speaks to the inclusion of the Gentiles. I was moved by this in my meditation on this passage, brothers and sisters, that we as Gentile believers... We are amongst those who are out in the highways, not amongst the pre-invited to this feast, but those whom, by God's grace, the generous king has decided to reach out to, to gather us that we might enjoy his great celebration his wedding feast. And I was so moved by God, including us and grafting us in as the wild olive shoots, the wild olive branches that you read about in Romans 11, not the natural branches or the pre-invited, the the chosen people, the nation of Israel who Jesus first came for here, the lost sheep of Israel. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And this parable is about that and, and the judgment that will come upon them for that and has come upon them already for that. But it's also about a king who's desiring to throw a wedding feast for his son and has sent his servants out far and wide to the nations to gather his elect from the four winds that we might come before him and so that the guest might be, the guest hall would be filled with guests for this ultimate celebration of God's wedding feast. And so this is a beautiful parable that that makes you think of heaven. But it's got some sobering truth in it. Because after all, it is a parable of judgment and one that we need to look into and take seriously. And so there's four points. I've named a lot of the factors there. There's four points to the passage this morning. The first is the king's feast. Secondly, the king's anger. Thirdly, the king's determination. 
And fourthly, the king's terms. Or the king's provision, the king's terms. And let's look firstly at the king's feast. Jesus here described as the son and the the father is desiring to throw a wedding feast for his son. And the kingdom of heaven might be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. You've got to understand here that this would be a the, the, the highest honor a person could receive. To be pre-invited to the wedding feast for the king's son. This is something that is, is really the ultimate celebration is really what Jesus is seeking to lay out here as he's describing this parable to the religious leaders of Israel who were rejecting him as the son, rejecting him as the Messiah. It was a high and the highest honor to be amongst all the nations of the earth, God's chosen people, his treasured possession, the people of Israel were and are. And, and here you see that this reality of the, the king's feast is that they're pre-invited and they know that it's coming. The, the prophets have talked about how there's an anticipation for the, the great coming of the son or God's son, the, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who would come and who would visit them. And they did not recognize the day of their visitation. The bridegroom was here and it was a time to celebrate, but there's nobody in this crowd celebrating amongst the leaders. They're actually plotting at this time to put Jesus Christ, the king's son, to death. The high honor to be invited. This would have been something that people would have boasted to receive. Hey, listen, I got an invitation to the king's wedding feast. This was something that was worthy of celebration, worthy of of really running to your neighbor's house and, and holding out that you got an invitation in the mail to this and you would have marked and saved that date and you would not have missed it. You would have scheduled everything else around it. This is what Jesus is trying to paint a picture of here. There's no other priority like this. This is the king's son and the wedding feast of the king. And it's really pointing to the time of the visitation of Jesus the Messiah who was here and how Jesus should be honored and celebrated not rejected the way they're rejecting him. And instead, it's just this in-story form. Jesus illustrates for them just the, the outrage of being invited to the wedding feast. But then this turn of phrase must have shocked the audience who heard this parable when they heard it live. They would not come. The highest honor to be invited is also the greatest slight to the king to not come. The greatest offense to not be willing to come to the king's feast for his son when the time comes for the servants to say everything's ready. Time to come. They were not willing. It's meant to incite a reaction of, really? Are, are you kidding me? It's what this is meant to incite in us as the reader as we're reading God's word. No, no, this doesn't happen. This is outrageous. That the pre-invited, the chosen, would actually refuse to come to the king's son's wedding feast at the king's throwing. 
we see here again an illustration of the, the, the patience of God that he sends the servants once. But then in verse 4, again he sent other servants. Saying, tell those who are invited. Remember, they've been pre-invited. See, I have prepared my dinner, my ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. It was a common aspect in this culture to receive a couple invitations like this. So the sense here in the Jewish culture hearing this would be, yeah, everything was done right and proper. The king sent one invite and then followed up and and followed up with another one to the banquet to make sure that people knew it was ready. He sent servants once and they would not come. And he sent servants again. It speaks to the patience, the forbearance, and the kindness of God that he would send servants again and again. And we saw this in the parable of the tenants that John preached last week. A constant sending of servants to soften the hearts of the people so that they would come and take part of this great celebration, this feast. This is a happy occasion for the king and for the king's son. And you see in that second section with the other invite, it's almost like the king is like going out of his way to convince the people that it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. The fat calves have been slaughtered. It's going to be a great dinner. It's going to be a feast. My oxen are ready. It's going to be wonderful. Come to the feast. And in verse 5, the shock effect comes home again. But they paid no attention. To the king? Are you kidding me? You don't do that. They would have remembered the stories from the Old Testament well upon hearing this parable. And hearing this story would have outraged them emotionally because you remember in the book of Nehemiah that never was a man or woman or servant to be even out of countenance in the presence of the king. Never to even show sadness in the presence of the king. It wasn't tolerated. It's unthinkable to ignore him. They would have remembered the wrath of the king in relation to Vashti in the book of Esther when she didn't listen to the king and she was banished from the king's presence. They would have remembered Esther coming before the king only when you're invited or you coming to the king when you are summoned and not before. And Esther, with fear and trembling, went before the king and risked her life to do so. When the king summons you, you come. They would have remembered the story at the end of the book of Esther when Haman offended the king. And when the king's wrathful countenance turned from favor to wrath on Haman, it was a fearful thing. But these invited guests, pre-invited, these chosen guests of the king, they pay no attention to the king's servants. They commit a great offense here, brothers and sisters. This is a description of sin and its nature. 
And we all by nature are wrapped up in it. And it says here that not only did they pay no attention, they ignore him, but they went off. You see there in verse 5, they went off. This means they, they turned away. They walked away from the proclamation of the king's servants to come to the feast. And they walked away to the things that mattered more to them. And here in this description, you see they went to their farm. They went to their business. They went to their places of profit. Instead of coming to the ultimate celebration of the ultimate king celebrating the wedding feast of his son. This this reminded me of Isaiah 53 verse 6 of all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have turned away. We Each one of us have went off. No. I won't yield to your word. I won't come. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. This is a description of our sin. And it's a description in this context of the religious leaders of Israel and the nation of Israel that had rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They went off in the presence of a feast in order to go to their farms. This reminded me also of C.S. Lewis's quote that many of you would know that we as human beings are content to go in and make mud pies in the dirt when an offering of a holiday at the sea is laid out for us. And Lewis ended that famous quote saying, we as human beings are far too easily pleased. I got my farm. I got my business. I got my profit to make. I'm not going to pay attention to this. I'm going to ignore him. And actually, I'm not going to just ignore him. I'm going to walk away. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the unrepentant heart. This is a description of all of our hearts apart from Christ. And we need to allow the word to to sink in and to, to shock and offend us at the nature of our sin against God. So that we'll turn to Christ. During the preaching of his word this morning. You see the outrage continues. Not only did they went, they go off, but some of them actually seized the servants and they treated them shamefully and they killed them. This is a description of how the people of Israel who should have heard the word of the Lord from the prophets of the Lord and, and bowed their knees in, in repentance and, and came to the wedding feast at the the heralding of the good news of the gospel of grace, instead rejected the word from the Lord, from the prophets, and from John the Baptist, and killed many of them, and killed John as well. And here Jesus, the very Son, is being sent by the Father in His mercy and grace to proclaim the kingdom of heaven to them. He even sends His beloved Son to them as a messenger, and they're going to kill Him as well later on this week. supposed to be a time of celebration and they're turning it into a time of abomination it's the greatest offense the greatest act of rebellion to go and take the king's servants who are heralds for him and his word and to slaughter them 
the greatest rebellion, the greatest wickedness. This is the description here of rejecting the king, rejecting his son, rejecting his servants, and rejecting his feast. God is a God who desires to lavish on us such grace and such celebration forever and ever in heaven. And yet we would rather have a life of sin here than to enjoy a wedding feast. It, it ought to create a sense of shock and outrage. We ought to find ourselves in relation to these truths. And now we move to point two, from the king's feast to the king's anger. How is the king to respond to such rebellion and to such slight and to such offense? We see here that the king does respond. And before we dip into this, I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of Proverbs to you that will ring. You'll you'll, you'll remember this upon hearing it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 14 says that a king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. They knew the scriptures. They knew that a king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In other words, you don't mess with the king. You don't offend him. And yet, brothers and sisters, they do. They reject the king's feast. They reject the king. They reject his servants. They reject his son. And the king responds justly. And the king responds appropriately. It says in verse 7, the king was angry. We need to look and remember that sin provokes God's wrath. It's a truth that is often lost in our day where many do not even want to talk about the concept of sin. Sin is rebellion against God and his law and his word. And it provokes the king to anger, to reject his son. We need to revel in the truth that God is a generous king. He is also very kind. He is very patient. He's not desiring that any would perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. All of that is true. All of that should be reveled in, and we should thank God and give praise to Him for it. Brothers and sisters, we've seen over these last number of weeks with these judgment parables, the other reality is that God is also a God of justice. He is a God who is holy and cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate rebellion against him and his rule. He is angry at sin. When Romans says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that's real. There's a vengeance in God. And it's coming. Justice will come upon those who reject the king and his word and his son. And we need to be sobered by the king's anger. And we need to worship the Lord for his righteous and holy anger, his righteous and holy wrath, his righteous and holy vengeance, his righteous and holy justice, brothers and sisters. 
Because God would not be a good God if he just swept sin under the carpet and didn't repay it with justice and with anger. Israel's rejection on the whole of Jesus during these times brought great judgment upon themselves. Here Jesus actually says, the king was angry, and you see immediate action being taken by the king. He, he's decisive, and he moves in action. And it's, it's a description of when, when judgment day comes, and the Lord comes in his wrath, you look here at this description, and it smacks of the book of Revelation when the, 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 the king comes in his wrath, and the wrath of the lamb is described, where Jesus is actually described as the one who treads the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. The king was angry and he sent his troops and he destroyed those murderers and he burned their city. Whoa. And this is description of, 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 of Old Testament judgment that comes and it's, it's described here by Jesus as God when he comes in justice and visits, visits sin with his justice. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God in an unrepentant state, in an unbelieving state. In fact, 40 years from this moment here in 70 AD, this very thing happened to the city of Jerusalem and to the temple when the Roman army marched in under Emperor Titus. And Josephus actually records that there were 1.1 million Jews slaughtered during this time and records in detail the time when the Romans threw the torches into the temple and torched and slaughtered everyone in sight without mercy. Did not recognize the day of their visitation. And it's a sobering thing. And if, if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare us either, Romans 11 says, unless we repent, we will likewise Perish, brothers and sisters, the wrath of God is a serious thing. The anger of God is real. And if we reject Christ and go on rejecting him, and if we live by going away from God's word and live a life of sin, when judgment comes, it is going to be swift and there will be no second chances. Friends, we need to worship the God of judgment and the God of justice as well as the God of mercy and the God of grace. Won't you please repent while there's still time? If you think, oh, no, God's not going to do that. Brothers and sisters, passages like this are meant to wake us up to the reality that God's judgment, and as the New Testament talks about, the day of his wrath is still coming. It's, it's in the future. It's coming. 70 AD was nothing compared to the final judgment of God. And the king's anger is provoked. Romans 11 also says, consider both the kindness and the severity of God. We live in a generation that wants to look at the kindness of God, but does not want to look at and contemplate the severity of God. And we must remember that he's holy. Rebelling against God and not coming to his wedding feast upon invitation, not responding yes to this wedding invite, provokes his anger and brings his wrath, brothers and sisters. Let us all be sobered by the king's anger 
And let us all turn in repentance and faith to him now. Thirdly, the king's determination. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murders and burned their city. But verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love this turn here. It it speaks to the king's determination. The king desires for his wedding hall to be filled with guests for his son's wedding. And it's going to get filled. The king's determination is going to see it done. And if those who were pre-invited were not worthy and would not come, He'll bring in people from the roads and the highways and byways, the, the sojourners and the lowest of the low, the, the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes whom the, the people of this time and the religious leaders of Israel looked down upon with scorn and considered them the, the unworthy ones. It's interesting here, this turn that the ones who considered themselves worthy were actually not worthy. But the ones who were poor in spirit, remember Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who were out and knew they weren't invited, they weren't pre-invited, they're just out in the midst of the highways and byways waiting. And here come the servants. And they're gathered and brought into the wedding feast. The feast for God's Son will be great. And the hall will be filled with guests. This reminds you of heaven. Because this isn't just a parable. This is a a future reality for every one of us in here who have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. You are going to be a part of the greatest wedding celebration feast ever. And Jesus himself is going to be there. Serving us as the bridegroom filled with joy at his bride. And here we see also a a description of of, of the mission of the servants to go out, go into all the nations. You hear the Great Commission ringing forth here in Matthew 22. Compel them to come so that my hall might be filled with guests, so that my son and his wedding feast might be appropriately celebrated. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is real. And it's coming. Have you responded yes to this wedding invitation? Of all the wedding invitations you ever receive, you want to respond yes to this one. You want to come when the servants tell you to come. You don't want to turn away and turn to the things of this present world the way that these Jewish leaders and many of the nation of Israel did upon hearing this and kill the servants kill the prophets and kill the son. No. You want to turn to him. You want to come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. Come to him today. Delay no longer, and he will give you rest. The king is determined to bring into the great ultimate feast sinners saved by grace. What an awesome and generous king. Amen. Well, as I turn our attention here to the fourth and final point, 
Ushers, you can begin to hand out the elements for communion. If we could just remain just in a posture of listening as they're doing so, and we can begin to prepare our hearts for communion, I want to look at this point here on the king's terms or the king's provision. And those servants went out and arose and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Remember, those whom were rejected by the people and discounted as unworthy, the king invited in. And let that be an encouragement to every great sinner here. There's many in here, and I've heard this through the years, even from some of you, who you just don't feel worthy. The truth is, none of us are worthy. And if you live your entire life seeking to get into a place of becoming worthy on your own before you'll come to Him, you'll never come at all. Come to Him. Come to Him now. Come into the wedding hall. Because the King has provision for you. Let's look here in verse 11. When the King came in to look at the guests, He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. So this is amongst that second wave of guests who were coming in. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? The the reality of it is, is these wedding garments were offered at the door most likely. And there was an opportunity to, to take upon themselves the wedding garment that was appropriate for this wedding feast. The king determined that for all those coming in, that they needed to have both good and bad, they needed to have the wedding garment covering them. And this individual knew it. And you see the king and his, his kindness, he addresses him as friend. How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He didn't have an answer. Brothers and sisters, this is a description of an individual who wants to come to God on their own terms and not on God's terms. Wedding garment was offered And instead of clothing themselves with the wedding garment, the king's provisionary garment for the wedding, this individual rejected that. And in this moment, you see a a description of the final judgment. The king comes in and he looks at the guests and and he, he scans over and he sees one individual who doesn't have a wedding garment. It reminds us that all of us will stand alone before the judgment of the Lord. And His eyes will fall upon us. Are you covered by the King's provision? Have you been clothed by the King? This is also a description of the speechlessness before those who are judged of the King when He comes and He brings justice. There's no excuse that can be made. There's just the willful rejection of the wedding garment, the willful rejection of the invitation to come. See a picture of our hearts. And before I turn my attention to the final description here, I want to remind all of us that we cannot come to God on our own terms. You must come to God on God's terms. You must come to God through repentance and faith. You must have the king's wedding garments on for this feast. 
You see this also in the book of Revelation where the people of God are, are wearing garments washed white in the blood of the Lamb. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, Isaiah the prophet prophesies, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. My friend, do you have the garments of salvation covering you right now? That come only from the king's provision? Or are you saying, I'll take God, I'll take Jesus, but I'll take him on my own terms. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to repent. I'm going to keep living the way I want to live. I'm going to walk into the wedding hall in my own clothes. Out from the highway and byway. And yeah, thanks for that wedding garment. I understand that it's required, but I don't need that. You see the, the arrogance of the individual walking in and most likely walking around. And the king notices this individual. And the king takes action. Once again, action is taken decisively. And it's a reminder, friends, of the swift judgment of God when it falls. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to clothe yourself with the garments of salvation, brothers and sisters, through repentance and faith in Christ. Don't delay another day longer because you don't know that Christ not, might not return even this evening and you would need to suffer. And as this individual suffered, verse 13, this is what happens to those who are not clothed in the garments of salvation on the day of the Lord. Then the king said to the attendants, Find him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Most likely this feast was lit up beautifully. And this individual was bound hand and foot and cast into the outer darkness. And it says here, Jesus is saying, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've heard this said so many times, as well as the, the, the proclamation of God's grace and willingness to receive all who will come. You've heard this from Ben, John, and I all through the years. Friends, he is willing to receive you if you'll come in repentance and faith this morning. He is a God of grace and a God of patience and a God of kindness. The fact that he's been so patient with you and me is description of that. He has sent servants to you again and again. And have you turned to him? Because, friend, if you have not turned, please turn. Because if you won't turn, the day is coming when you would hear similar words. Find her hand and foot. Find him hand and foot. And cast him out into the outer darkness. But, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name? I tell you the truth. I never knew you. Why? We didn't have the garments on. We would say, God, I'll take God on my own terms. I want Jesus, but I don't want to follow him. I want Jesus, but I don't want my life to change. I like my pleasures. I like my sin. Friend, please turn to Christ and relinquish all. 
to come before the foot of the cross and say and beg him, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and please clothe me with the garments of salvation today. And he will clothe you, friend. He will clothe you. He's clothed me. And you will not need to hear, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Here you see a description of hell. And just as God's judgment and wrath and vengeance are real, it's important for us, beloved, to remember that hell is real. There will be those who will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we see a description of hell. Normally you hear it described as fire. But here there's another horror to it. It's described as outer darkness. It's described as a place where there'll be great weeping. And there'll also be such pain that the only response would be to actually gnash your teeth because it is so intolerable. And it will never end. The offense against the great king is an infinite offense. And it's worthy of infinite punishment. God in his mercy has brought you here that you might repent and believe while there's still time. So that you might not be cast out. But that you might enter in. And this morning, I want to rejoice together with you, beloved of the garments of salvation who now clothe, that now clothes every true believer in this room. You and I right now are clothed by God's grace, believer, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the imputed and credited righteousness of Christ. We are wearing even right now clothes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. We are justified. We are declared righteous in Christ And we are just as ready to meet God and his judgment day. We are just as ready for that right now as we will be on the day of judgment. Because you are clothed. And oh, praise him. You are clothed with the garments. Believer. Do not fear. As you look and remember your sin. This is a God of grace who clothes both the bad and the good who will come to him in repentance and in faith and Close them with the garments of salvation. And as we celebrate communion now, we celebrate God's provision. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, has provided for us a sacrifice. Through the broken body of our Lord, Communion is for Christians. And if you're a Christian, I invite you to partake this morning. Because you have the garments of salvation clothed upon you. The provision of the king. And the greatest provision the king has ever offered was the sacrifice and offering of his beloved son. The one worthy of just celebration and having a feast thrown in his name actually humbled himself and became obedient to death and actually died on a cross for you. Oh, don't you love him? Don't you believe in him? His body was broken and his blood was shed to atone for all of your transgressions and sins.
In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. The bread symbolizes the body of our Lord. Represents the provision of the king to send his own son to suffer in our place. You will not be cast into the outer darkness and you will not suffer weeping and gnashing of teeth because Jesus suffered on the cross in your place. Remember the broken body. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, his blood indeed was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us remember the blood of Christ shed for us. Thank you, Jesus. If I could have the worship band return, we're going to close in worship. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again. Oh, listen carefully, church. This is wonderful. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know where we're going to drink it anew with him in his Father's kingdom? At the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And brothers and sisters, those of you who have trusted in Jesus, we're going to be there together. And it's going to be the ultimate celebration. And that is what we have to look forward to in heaven. And it's just going to get better and better forever and ever. Oh, friends, what a glorious day it's going to be. And we're going to be there because of the actions of our generous King who loved us and gave himself for us. Let us worship this generous King as we celebrate the provision that he has made in the sending of his precious son. Let us all stand. Scripture uh, ends with, for many are called, few are chosen. The gospel call goes out very generously from our generous king. God has been kind to you. He's been patient with you. Many are called. Few are chosen. As we see in this passage, many turn away at the king's gracious invitation turn away from the king's gracious provision. If you're not sure where you're at with God, if you haven't yet repented, I want to give you that opportunity now. Trust in Jesus. Believe in him. And you will receive the gift of eternal life, friend. And we'll be able to call you a brother. We'll be able to call you a sister. 
please do so. You're hearing the gospel call right now. And it's possible to hear it and not heed it. Please turn. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray your heart would be filled with great joy and peace. For many are called, few are chosen. But by the grace and mercy of Almighty God, you have responded. You have come. You've come to Jesus. And you have come with his righteousness on today. All of your sins have been forgiven. All of your lack of righteousness has been provided for by the king. You have the garments of salvation upon you by the king's grace. Take comfort in that. And rejoice. The Christian life is a build-up to the greatest celebration feast ever. This is going to be awesome. Our eternal future is going to be awesome. Let us remember heaven. Let us continue to hold on. Hang in there in our followership of Christ and remember that he's got us. Few are chosen, but by the grace and mercy of God, you are amongst the chosen of God, those who have trusted in his son. And you are indeed blessed. Your life may have many trials filling it right now, but you are amongst the most blessed men and women in the whole earth because you're a Christian. The greatest blessing that could ever be bestowed on any man or woman or teen or child. So celebrate. Receive that good news. Let it refresh and comfort you this morning as I close in prayer. Almighty God, I particularly pray for my beloved brothers and sisters. I pray that they would remember your grace. I pray that they would remember that they have been clothed And Lord, clothed for the wedding feast, the ultimate celebration. We cannot wait for heaven, Lord. It's going to be an awesome celebration. And it's never going to end. Lord, I pray that you would fill their heart with just gratitude over being amongst the chosen. We don't deserve to be amongst the chosen. We don't deserve to be clothed in your garments of salvation. But we are, by your grace, Oh, generous King, thank you so much for sending your son for the likes of us. And we walk out of this meeting right now as believers in Christ and clothed with the garments of salvation. And we give you praise for that. Thank you so much, generous King. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank our generous King for how awesome he is? Thank you, Lord. Have a wonderful week.